want to share from it. It's Paul writing to the Thessalonians, and uh, I'm just going to pick out the introduction and the conclusion. If you uh, want to turn in your Bibles, it should appear on the screen as well. From verse 2, Paul writes, We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And then, final instructions, verse 16 of chapter 5. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Let's just pray together. Father, as we come together to worship you and to pray, to sing our songs of praise, to humble ourselves in adoration, to cry out for more of you, we also ask that you would give us ears to hear what you would have to say. And just in this moment that we share together, may your spirit, be at work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. This may sound a silly question. Um, what do you carry in your heart? What do you carry in your heart? Who do you carry in your heart? And if I was to give you enough time, you'd probably come up with the things that are most dear to you. That's what you carry in your heart. Your loved ones, I would guess. Jesus, I would hope. Your friends and family. Situations and concerns that you have. Ambitions and dreams and desires. Your heart is full of these things. 
the gospel, and carry it in your heart. That's the good stuff. We also sometimes carry some not-so-good stuff. Wrong attitudes. Secret sin. Things that we fight with in our daily lives. But we all carry stuff in our hearts. If I was to ask you what you carry in your heart for God, would it be the same things? What do you carry in your heart for God? A clue to the answer to that question would be, what do you pray about most? What fills your prayer life is probably what you carry on your heart for God. Passion for Jesus and his kingdom, worship, thankfulness, repentance, faith, hope, love, loved ones, concerns, situations, those who don't know Jesus. I was struck this week because this passage kept coming back to me of Thessalonians, of what Paul carries in his heart. It is clear from his letters, and particularly Thessalonians, but other letters too, that he carries the churches in his heart. I mean, he carries the gospel. Paul is a gospel man. You cut him in half and and it's gospel written all through him. That's what he is. But he carries the churches in his heart. We always thank God for you. We continually remember you before God. This particular church, he is desperate to see them again. He was only there three weeks In Thessalonica, three weeks, he planted a church, but he longs for them. He carries them in his heart. He had to leave because of opposition. He's wondering, how are they doing? How are they getting on? He sends Timothy to hear news. He writes letters. And wonderfully, if you read the letters, he gets reports back that they're doing good. They're running with the gospel. Despite serious persecution, they're going on with God. The same is in Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae and Corinth. If you read Paul's letters, he's carrying them in his heart. He says to the Ephesians, the church is not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to the church. Sometimes we think that, you know, the church is just somehow, you know, a getaways from the world. The church is the hope of the world. The world is peripheral to the church. Sometimes I hear people say, when we go out into the real world, this is the real world. This is the only world that will last, the kingdom of God. Everything else will pass away. And we're calling other people into the real world. This is the real world, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, because it will last for eternity. All kingdoms will fall, but God's kingdom will last forever. It is quite clear to me that Paul loved the church. Now, he had things to say to the church on occasion that sound a bit harsh, 
But he loved the church because he knew that the church was the hope for the nations. He knew that the church of Jesus Christ was the body of Christ here on earth. And there is a warmth with which he speaks. He remembers them continuously. Because it is a community set apart by the gospel. It was brought into being by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It continues to be shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And through his church, the gospel spreads. And we're the same. Shipping Camden Baptist Church, did it just spring up from nothing? It came with the gospel. Someone brought the gospel to Chipping Camden. All those years ago, someone came. Do you think it just popped up? When you travel around and you see all the church buildings all around, the gospel came. Someone brought it and communities were raised up. What do these stones mean? The gospel came. Sadly, so many of them are now pine shops or being converted into houses. But the gospel came and we're a people saying, yes, God has sent us. To take the gospel to see revival once again. And Paul says of the Thessalonians, the Lord's message rang out from you. The word there is kind of reverberated. The gospel just ran out from their witness. People were talking about the church in Thessalonica. You see what God's doing in Thessalonica? And we're praying that people would say, what? You see what God's doing in Chipping Camden and all the villages around and the towns around. Paul commends them because they had become imitators of them and the Lord. And it's a reminder for us to become more and more imitators of Jesus. And as Paul ends his letter, he kind of ends with these bullet points. Be joyful always. Don't be miserable. Be joyful always. It's a reminder to us, isn't it? We can get so bogged down with stuff that we can appear the most least joyful people. Be joyful always. And when we worship together, whatever it sounds like, it's always got to be joyful. Pray continually without ceasing. I want to come back to that one. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not so easy, is it? But I'm so grateful, Paul said, be thankful in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Keep on asking for more and for more and for more. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. We've been looking in our past weeks of our vision statement, what we are as a church, and we've been thinking about praying for revival. It's there, written in our vision. Praying for revival. And Paul says, pray continually. Other versions, it says, Praise without, pray without ceasing. And sometimes when you read that, you think, oh gosh. That's tough, isn't it? 
Over this past, I think it's since we were trying to work out October 2011, we've been preaching through the vision. Because God challenged us, are we a church that owns a vision or just has it displayed? And the challenge was that everyone who is part of this church would own the vision. That we're here because of the vision, not because of anything else that is offered. We're here because we're on mission for Jesus. We want to see the kingdom come. And the vision is what God's put on our heart. We've owned it for so long. It's part of us. It's what God's, what we carry as a church is the vision that he's given us. Proclaiming Jesus Christ to people today. So exciting to hear of all the opportunities that people can hear about Jesus. But they will only hear if we invite them. We need to have that culture of invitation. Being cultural means that you don't have to think about it anymore. You just do it. It's part of your culture. Alpha started this week. Fantastic. 29 people gathered. Others gave apologies. People I've never met before coming to hear about Jesus. What a thrill. Because I've known over 17 years on every course people become Christians. And as I scan this congregation, I can see one, two, three, four, or more, loads more. And I met you first on an Alpha course. And here you are, owning the vision of the church. Isn't that brilliant? But you don't have to wait for Alpha. Let's start inviting people to church on a Sunday. Let's come, come with me to church. Wow, that's really scary, isn't it? What if they don't like it? They'll never come back again. Well, if you never ask them, they'll never come anyway. Making disciples is what we're committed to as well. We want to all be growing in God. We're all involved in it, encouraging one another to go on in the faith, whether it's in our small groups or one-to-ones or prayer triplets or whatever. The challenge is, who are you discipling? Who are you encouraging? Who are you urging on in the faith? Go for it. Building God's kingdom. Seeking God's kingdom as a priority. Being salt and light in our workplace. You're there for Jesus, wherever it is. Our homes. Planting new churches, we're committed to that. We haven't planted a church for years. But we're committed to it. We will plant again. This church will plant more churches. Because God is doing something here. And he's laid it on our heart. We're reaching the nations. We have contacts with people across the world which teach us so many things. And of course we're praying for revival. I get challenged often, what do I mean by revival? In some circles, you won't believe this, in some Christian circles revival has become a dirty word. Oh, we don't talk about revival. What do you mean? What do you mean by revival? Well, my, my definition is very simple. The lost get saved in revival. It's a season ordained by God where the church of Jesus Christ gets awakened 
to evangelize the lost. We're the ones who get revived, by the way, in a revival. The church gets revived because the church is the one that's dead. So the church gets revived in a revival. But what happens when a church gets revived is that people all around get awakened. Because God is on the move. And there's a visitation of the Holy Spirit, the like of which we have never seen. None of us have ever seen in our lives, but we long for. It results in a supernatural transformation. We are grateful to see everyone who is saved. They're gold. Absolute gold. Treasure. You are treasure. God loves you so much, but we want to see more. We want to see so much more. When you boil it down to numbers, we see average 12 people saved a year. Which is fantastic, because over years, that mounts up. That's not revival, though. It's not revival. And the gospel comes, Paul says it came to the Thessalonian with words, with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. That's revival. And we're committed to keep on praying for revival and never give up. We're praying. We're asking God for 10,000. Again, you, have, you know, go in certain circles, you get laughed at. Saying, we're asking God for 10,000. You've just told me you see 12 a year. Yeah, but I'm asking for 10,000. Why would we ask for 12? We already have 12. Can God do it? Of course he can. You just have to read books. The Welsh Revival. I know I bang on about it, but it was an extraordinary thing. In one month, they saw 30,000 people get saved. In rural communities. Not in a big city where there were millions of people. In rural communities all over Wales. There was an incredible move of God. In four months, they saw 76,500 people saved. See, God can do it. Ah, oh, yeah, but that's in Wales. <laughs> he's bound to do something like that in Wales. Like the Hebrides. And he's bound to do something in the Hebrides. What about a local Baptist church? You know, I mean... Lowestoft Baptist Church, 1921, in three weeks, they thought, saw a thousand people saved. Just a move of the Holy Spirit. I, we don't know why it started and why it ended, it, but apart from prayer. A thousand people saved in three weeks. And I know what you're saying. How are we going to fit them all in? What are we going to do? I don't care. <laughs> do we care? All you practical people, oh, we haven't got enough house groups. Um, are we ready for it? Um, you know, we need more offering baskets. And oh, if we see a thousand people saved, I tell you, it's going to be a mess, a complete mess. But what a glorious mess! So we pray for it, we ask for it, we keep banging and saying, God, will you do it here? 
Not because we're special, but because God is great and he can do anything. But he looks for a people. He looks for a people who will go for him. Paul says to the Thessalonian church, pray continuously without ceasing. What does that mean for us? It means you carry it in your heart. It doesn't mean you give up your job and you stay at home and pray all day. Some of the Thessalonians were doing that. Paul has a word to say about them. They were expecting Jesus to come back any minute. They were giving up their jobs and saying, well, we'll wait. We'll just wait. Waiting. He's coming back. But I don't encourage you to give up your job and just wait for him. We're praying for revival as we go. As we do Alpha, as we do Men's, as you invite people, as we go on, we're, we're praying for revival. Without ceasing, continuously. I had the privilege a few years ago of visiting a church in Egypt. Brothers and sisters who endure incredible persecution. They're in Cairo, but also in the villages as well. I want to show you a video of, that's just been released um, from the Cairo church. It takes about six minutes, but it's inspiring. If we can show that, please. The church in Egypt has been praying for many years now, uh, feeling from the Holy Spirit that God wants to do great things in our nation, looking to the reality and looking to what God wants to do, we have only one hope, is to pray and cry for God. God, come, rend the heavens, come and make amazing things. Show your name, show how great you are in Egypt. We've, be, we've seen God answering prayer in an amazing way. Uh, a momentum of prayer had started in Egypt, especially the last 15 years. We start seeing uh, spirit of prayer this is where you come and you feel you are not trying to pray it's like a wave it's like a wind that takes your your sailing boat easily it moves it that's the spirit of prayer especially in the last eight to ten years a prayer meeting in our church that has grown from 200 to 600 to 800 now when you have a prayer meeting you will have between at least 12 to 1400 minimum praying and the main focus is to pray for a revival. Um, and, and, and this is not a, something that can be done by people or by men. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, for the last few months in 2010, we felt something big is going to happen in Egypt. Uh, things are going to fall down. Even we had even more specific words and prophecies about Mubarak, about what will happen in Egypt. And uh, to be honest, what happened was a lot more than we, uh, we were expecting. During these difficult times, people are so open to listen more about God and look for hope and answers. Uh, they have seen everything they know falling down in front of them. Systems, regimes, 
leaders. A lot of things are revealed or exposed to them. And so they say, is there any answer for our problems and challenges? And this is a time, a great time. Actually, when, when nations go through difficult times, this can make people harden their hearts more. But if the church is praying and difficulties are coming, in the middle of this time, as Isaiah 19, it says, and the Egyptians will cry for a savior and God will answer them. I think this is what's happening. Uh, so many doors are open for the gospel to witness, to share the gospel with, with many people around. So we see more people coming to know the Lord, more than I've ever seen in my life. I've been in the ministry for 30 years and I'm not the only one saying this, but everyone I know around are saying we've never seen any days like this. One church is not enough. One denomination is not enough. You are building the kingdom of God. If you want to build the kingdom of God, you have to work in unity. Unity is something I believe is very precious on God's heart, that you come together as the one body of Christ in the nation and cry for the Lord. We felt this is really uh, needed in Egypt, that we cannot, as a, as a church in Egypt, do it by ourselves or do it alone, we needed to pray. So we extended the, 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 the hands and heart of love to others. We start praying on a small level, sometimes secretly with leaders from the Orthodox Church, which is a very historical, traditional church, but strong in faith for 2,000 years now. It was like uh, the, the, the barriers fall down between the, the two churches. Little by little, this was growing. And on the 11th of November, 2011, when fights were taking place in streets of Cairo, people were killed. 45,000 people gathered from all denominations in the cave church, praying and singing and shouting and clapping all the night. I remember very well at three o'clock in the morning, uh, the, the people start by themselves, their own initiative, shouting Yeshua, Yeshua, which is Jesus in Arabic clapping Yeshua, Yeshua. And they went on for 11 minutes. Now, I've never been in a place like this, but one of the leaders had said this. He said, we're doing two things. Repenting for not having Jesus as the head of the church for so many years, or the leader of the church, and as an act of faith of putting him in his throne again in Egypt. So this was an historical night. It had a great impact in Egypt. Uh, it had great impact on other churches in the whole Arab world because it was on live on TV. But we are still in the storm. We are still in the middle of the storm. What we see, what's happening is God is coming to, uh, to shake our nation. He said, I will shake the nations. I will shake earth and heaven and that all idols will fall down. It's exactly it's Isaiah 19.1. The idols of Egypt will tremble. When God come and shake, the mosques fall down revealing, exposing, light is coming. So corruption is known, tyrants are uh, known, uh, injustice is known, uh, everything is clear. It's like Egyptians, their eyes are getting open. So everything that is not made by his hand will fall down and people will accept the unshakable kingdom of God. phrase that captured my heart when I watched that um, was a church with a spirit of prayer. A church with a spirit of prayer. And he said, 
they don't try and pray anymore. They just pray. And challenge me that every moment of my life, as I go around, I carry this in my heart. A spirit of prayer. Not dependent on whether you've got up at four in the morning and spent that hour with him, but carrying a spirit of prayer. Asking God to move, to shake the nations. It is a supernatural thing. He called it like a wave, like a wind. I've been in that cave church. It is the most incredible thing. They live in the most abject poverty. It's situated on garbage city. City built on the rubbish tips of Cairo. Incredible. And while we were there, they prophesied that actually Great Britain would see an incredible move of God. God is stirring up the nations. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Now prayer is a supernatural thing when it happens like that, but it's also a discipline thing, and we need to learn. Discipleship. The disciples asked Jesus' teachers to pray because they saw when Jesus prayed there was something different about the things that they had been doing, going whether to the synagogue or to the temple. There was something dynamic. And so they began to imitate Jesus and learn from him. It's how we learn to pray, isn't it? We learn to pray as we learn to talk. Maybe faltering at first. And then we realize we have this conversation with God who allows us into his presence just to to cry out to him. It's a heart thing, a spirit thing. One of the things we encourage new Christians that come on Alpha and then sign up for the After Alpha is to pray out loud on the first night. Do you remember that, Rachel? Rose? Pray out loud. Oh, how terrifying. It strikes fear into any new Christian. What am I going to say? I don't know if I'm doing it right. All those I've heard pray in church are so eloquent. They make it sound so easy, but I don't know what to say. It is like learning to speak a few words, stringing a sentence. I remember visiting three weeks later, and they were just praying. It was just flowing. Even Rachel prayed for me out loud. Isn't that brilliant? what we have to be doing, carrying a spirit of prayer, but also challenging where the enemy keeps us silent. Well, I pray quietly. Well, that's good. That's great to pray quietly. We need to use our mouths, though. We need to be speaking out the name of Jesus. We need to be blessing people, encouraging people, speaking out revival wherever we go. I know Christians who have been Christians for years who don't pray out loud because of the same fears. It needs to be broken. It is a stronghold that needs to be broken because the enemy wants us silent. It starts with a word. When people say to me, I've never prayed out loud, I don't know how to do it, I say, can you say, God bless Philip? Oh, of course I can say, God bless Philip, God bless Philip. You've just prayed out loud. Oh. Oh. So you don't have to learn sort of 
oh, Holy Father and redemption and all the big words. No, you just pray as you normally pray, but out loud. It is so encouraging when someone says, will you pray for me? And you say, yes, let's pray now. And you pray out loud and you bless them in the name of Jesus. Have you stopped praying with your husband, your wife? Have you stopped praying with your children? Have you stopped praying with your friends? Have you stopped praying? Start again. Start again. Start this week. Even if it's just a sentence. To have a spirit of prayer would be to have a culture of prayer. Abiding in Christ. And when I saw that video and was looking at this passage, it just something stirred in my heart that we want to see a spirit of prayer invade our church. We want to see a spirit of prayer realizing our dependence upon God, calling on his name. Now, some will be called to be intercessors. They'll pray all night and all day. I know and bless you for it. But others, like me, you struggle, but you have to just find the moments in the day. As you drive to work, start praying out loud. As you meet with Christian friends, just say, can we pray together? Let's call on the name of the Lord. Let's ask for revival every minute. You know when you watch your favorite television program? It's maybe an hour program, and it's on one of those channels that has adverts. It's 40 minutes program, 20 minutes adverts. Rough, well, you know, I'm exaggerating. You have at least 15 minutes in that hour to pray. Because you're sitting there thinking, silly adverts. Hit mute button, pray. Sure, God won't mind. Does that sound irreverent? Let's find times where we can pray. Come to the hungry prayer meetings. If you can't come to the hungry prayer meeting, make it a priority in your diary just to put some time between seven and eight on that Monday a month to pray so that we're praying together for revival. We want to pray that God will do in us all that he wants so that he can do through us all that he desires. Pray continually. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Be joyful always. Maybe it's time just to ignite that again in your life. We sometimes sing a song, be the wind in these sails. That's what we're praying for. Be the wind in these sails. Let's pray together. Can I ask you to stand as we pray? We're going to respond in these moments that we have together. We want to be a church that commits itself to praying for revival. It's part of our vision. It's who we are. It's what we carry in our heart. If you're here this morning and you struggle with this whole area of just praying, then ask God to ignite that by his Holy Spirit. 
If you've never prayed out aloud with someone, make it your ambition in this next week or so to begin to pray out loud, maybe just at home, but maybe with somebody else. And if you've just, that fire has just gone dampened down, let's pray that God ignites that. So Holy Spirit, we're asking you to come and fill this place and fill your church and fill our lives. We are hungry for you. We are thirsty for you. We are desperate for you. Come right now in the name of Jesus. Come right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Just want to invite you, if God has touched your heart this morning and just stirred you, just ask you just to come and walk down the front. We're not going to have music playing. We're, not going to, we're just going to come and stand. We're not going to actually pray for one another. We're just going to come and make a stand. If you want to actually step forward for God, maybe you've drifted away from him. Maybe you're here this morning. God has brought you this morning just to remind you that he is the one that you should be living for. Then just come. Come right now. Let's come as a church and say we're committed to this vision. We want to see the kingdom of God come. We want to see a revival in our lifetimes. We don't want to settle for less. We want to stand and cry out to God for more and more and more. God, will you move among us? Will you stir our hearts? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's just begin to pray. If you've never prayed out loud, let's just begin to lift those prayers out loud. Let's just be crying out to God. We want to see so much more, God. We want to see the love of God poured out in our communities. Lord, will you come? Lord Jesus, will you come? Will you fill your church again with that power? Lord, will you ignite the passion in our hearts for you? Lord Jesus, will you come? Move amongst us. Jesus, release our tongues, Lord. Where they've been bound, where where we've given up because of fear, Lord, just bring release now in the name of Jesus that we would be a people who carry that longing in our heart, that it won't be just something that we think, oh, that's for others, but it's for us. We play our part. We want to make a stand for you. Lord Jesus, will you come? Lord Jesus, will you come? Lord, we want to see a difference. Lord, we thank you for everything that we do see, but we want to see so much more. Lord, will you come? Fill this place. Fill this place. Lord, you know our hearts. You know our hearts. Just hear our hearts this morning as we've come to you. As we've said, Lord, here I am. Use me. Here I am, use me. Thank you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. 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 More of you. Increase the passion for you, God. Increase the passion for you, God. Jesus' name, Jesus' name.
Revive us, Lord, we pray. Revive us. We've sung it already. Start with me. Revive us. That's our heart's cry. Lord, that you would ignite our passion for you once again, Lord. That you would use us where we are. Lord, we give ourselves to you. We've come this morning to worship you. We surrender to you. All that we have is yours. And we love you, Lord. Pour out your spirit, we pray. Lord, I pray that you would just come be anointing evangelists here. Be anointing those who carry your gospel, Lord, in a way that draws people. Lord, release the evangelists among us. Release the intercessors, those who will stay up and pray and bring those walls down in the name of Jesus. Those who will have that burden to to pray into those strongholds that need to be brought down. Lord, we pray for a a season of revival. We pray for a, a move of your Holy Spirit. We are here just saying, Lord, use us. Do it here, Lord, for Chipping Camden, for the Cotswolds, for beyond, Lord. We give ourselves to you to see a move of your spirit. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming this morning. There'll be tea and coffee served. Do pick up your children.